With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I started this podcast, wow, over five and a half years ago with the idea of just having access to really smart people who have done really, really cool things. And that's what we've continued to do for now about 530 episodes, which I can't even believe. It's it's almost crazy that we've done this show for this long. So today I have with me Ginny de St. George. And I got to tell you, I met her about a month ago, and she is so full of energy. She is doing so many cool things. She has over four decades in the business world. She is a speaker who sold all kinds of information products. She sold her business, and she is still out there. She's speaking, and she's training. And here's one of the cool things that she does. She does brainstorm coaching, where she helps people sort of find the right tagline, find the right title, and really think out of the box, because that's what she's been good at throughout her whole career. And when I met her, I knew that she was somebody we had to have here on this podcast because she's going to help us all sort of think out of the box on our entrepreneurial journey. Hey, Jenny, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Tom, thank you. And it's been an honor to be with you. Yeah. So I don't read the bios that fancy PR people do. So I always let you sort of tell the whole story. Who is Jenny de St. George and, and, and what do you do? Well, I'll make this very short. Um, I'm originally from England. I moved from London to New York for, I thought, six months. (laughs) Stayed in New York for a year. Thought I'd go to San Francisco for 30 days to see some family I'd never met. Uh, Married a Frenchman going to dental school in San Francisco. And from there, the rest sort of became history. Um, so you've lived, in, Sa- you've lived in San Francisco. You've, you've lived in the San Francisco area a long time. You've seen a lot of changes out there. In, I've in seen the, in a the lot s- of changes. Yeah. Yes, I was watching um, uh, the Linda Ronstadt special on CNN the other day, and yes, it brought back another life. 
And uh, so we opened our first dental practice and um, I knew nothing about dentistry. Um, I, I'm going to take a minute or two to talk about this story, Tom. Um, I never in my, in my speaking career, when I'm on stage and my hosts say, oh, isn't it glamorous being a speaker? How did you get into this business? I never tell them the story. But when I'm working with speakers and I'm working with small business owners and entrepreneurs, I think if I could take two or three minutes to tell you how I started, I know it will give people the courage um, and perhaps reduce the fear factor of being a risk taker because entrepreneurs, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Please, please do tell. Okay. So uh, we opened our practice on day one and my then husband uh, said to me, why don't you answer the phone, dear, for the first couple of days till I actually find somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. That's how I walked into our business. And uh, over a period of years, uh, grew a very successful practice. Um, I joke he worked for me. He did the dentistry. I ran the business, knowing Uh nothing about dentistry. And um, over a period of time, I noticed that other practices did not have the problem, had the problems I did not have. So we'd be out for dinner or go skiing, having a drink, and they say, gosh, I have this problem, X, Y, Z. And I said, well, if you didn't do X, Y, Z, but you did A, B, C. And then I see them six months later, and they said, Jenny, it works. And I'm thinking, well, of course it works. But they've been in dentistry for years, and I knew nothing about dentistry um, because my tagline now is based on common sense and logic. So one day I'm opening the mail, and there's a flyer that comes in from San Francisco and it says how to ask, uh, how to collect money from patients. The number one fear in the world, if you're a small business owner, is asking how your clients or your customers, your patients to pay. And I thought, oh, I could use this. So I signed up, sent in my $100, drove up to San Francisco. And at the end of the program, uh, they had about 300 people in the room from every aspect of healthcare. Um, at the end of the uh, program, I asked who the owner was, who was in charge, and I walked up to him and I said, I want my money back. And he said, why? I said, your speaker was bag and her information was incorrect. He said, excuse me? I said, your speaker was really poor, <laughs> and in my opinion, her information made no sense at all. So after he picked himself up off the floor, he looked at me and he said, oh, uh, have you ever spoken before? And I said, no. And he said, do you think you could do better than she did? And forgive the word, but this is exactly what I said. I said, I sure as hell couldn't be any worse. (laughs) So he asked me for my card, said he'd call. He never did. I got so upset. Uh, I took uh, $8,000 out of my bank account, hired a room at the Hyatt at San Francisco Airport, sent out about 8,000 flyers, 10,000 flyers, 125 people walked through the door paying about $129. And that's how I became a professional speaker in one day, never looked back. So you just started a company training dentists on how to do their business better? That's exactly right. So you can only speak in a specific area. Obviously, you know, the most you can do is maybe come back every six months. So I just started booking hotels across the country. And for the next about nine to 10 years, just booked myself as my own speaking public company would book a hotel, send out about 10 dates per flyer to a state, got on the plane and just went from one hotel to another telling my story. So that's how I started. 
So did you always have sort of a little entrepreneurial uh, uh, tinge to you or was that something that just sort of happened because the opportunity knocked? Uh, I never had it. And actually, that's a very interesting question that nobody's ever asked me. I um, was the shyest person you've ever seen. Um, I'd rather have spent time as a kid. I, I danced. I became a professional dancer and I loved horses and dogs and animals. And I would do anything not to go out and have to meet people. <laughs> um, so it came late in life. I, I took the courage to walk out of an 18-year-old marriage. And it was like the light bulb went out and um, 43 years of frustration suddenly reared its head. And that's how it started. Interesting. So you didn't really go chasing this idea of having an entrepreneurial path or being a speaker. I mean, the combination of the two, neither one was what you wanted to do. And yet for decades, you were one of the busiest working speakers that that have been out there teaching, you know, dentists how to do their business better. What was that like? Um, well, it, it's it's very interesting. The. Um, I, you know, when I, when I work with speakers and I ask them what they speak on and their answer may be, I haven't quite decided yet. Um, I'm very heavily involved in the Speakers Academy for our local NSA chapter. And I've been very active from day one. In fact, they've asked me to be the dean three times and three times I've turned it down because <laughs> I know where my limitations are. When we start a new class, Tom, uh, we used to have about 35 people per year. Now I think it's down to maybe 20. I know from experience, 50% of the people who put $2,000 on the table to sign up for what used to be a year is now a nine-month program for emerging speakers have no idea the subject they're going to speak on. I can't comprehend that because to me, what got me out of my shell and so incensed to send a flyer out is that I was so emotionally upset that somebody was making a ton of money. I grossed, I worked out he most probably grossed about 25000 that day for giving out, excuse the expression, crap stuff. And that got me so mad that when I left the room, I walked into the lobby of the hotel and I sat there for four hours and completely designed how I would run a full-day program. So you don't wake up one day and say, oh, I'd like, to, I don't wake up one day and say, I'd like to be a speaker. What am I going to speak on? You're exactly right. You, you, you find yourself in a circumstance and it's how you, how you react to that opportunity. So it's interesting because I've seen, I've been doing this now 11 years as my full-time job. And I studied the business for about five years before that uh, with sort of the desire to be a speaker. But I always knew, at least initially, what that original topic was. I knew what I was an expert on. I knew what people came to me for advice about. And I see the same thing. I see people who say, wow, as you said, it's so glamorous. I want to do what you do. And I say, well, what would you speak about? And they're like, anything. And I'm like, I really don't know that it, that it works that way. And I think that's true sort of for all entrepreneurship. I don't think you can just be like, I want to go start a business. I, I know a person who bought a, a franchise of a Subway sandwich and he ended up selling it a couple of years later because you know what he didn't like? Sandwiches. And he said that if you're going to work 10 hours a day in a franchise where you're making sandwiches, you probably should like sandwiches. And so I think that that's true with what we do. Don't you agree? 
It's amazing how many men, particularly, you hear them say, oh, my father wanted me to be an accountant. My father wanted me to be an attorney. So I became an attorney. But that's not what I wanted to do. So I threw it all up. So to me, you know, if the passion, I mean, when you look at the figures, Tom, and I was talking to, um, uh, to another speaker about this this morning on the phone, the figure in this country is about 85% of Americans do not enjoy going to work in the morning. 85%. So that means only about 15% of us wake up in the morning. I mean, I would actually do what I do for free, but unfortunately one has to live and pay the mortgage and all those things. <laughs> but to think that one would spend 40 to 50 hours a week doing something of no interest I, 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 it's not in my DNA. Well, and I think that's why a lot of people listen to this show. I think there's a lot of my listeners and the people who I've met or people who've emailed me who say they're, they're ladders against the wrong wall. They're not doing what they, they are called to be doing. And that's why they're pursuing this, this entrepreneurship. But since you've spent so long in the speaking business, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Most of the people who listen aren't speakers, but I'm going to go down this path because I am. Um, do you think there are more people like an obscenely large amount of people in the last three to five years who've suddenly called themselves speakers and jumped into this pool. It seems to me the difference between 11 years ago and now, it seems like the competition is like five times as many people. Is that just in my head? Uh, well, let me sum up how I, how I see the speaking business. When I joined the National Speakers Association over four decades ago, there were about 4,500 members. And I, I would say, don't hold me to it, though I do have some reports somewhere in the garage. I'm going to say about 85% were what I turned out to be is a full-time career speaker. That's what we did. We had product on the side. We did some coaching on the side, but we were on stage live speakers. Today, the last time I looked at the NSA stats, it was about 80% are most probably people who speak to promote their offstage business. Mm -hmm. So we've got uh, coaches and trainers and people who actually make their main income offstage, and they're using the platform for marketing, which means a couple of things. They'll either speak for free, which takes down everybody's honorarium, so I'm ready to kill them. <laughs> or they will speak for a lower fee because they're looking at another income stream down the way. Um, to me, it, it has lowered, I most probably shouldn't say this, but you and I have sort of talked, so I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I do see it lowering the level of speaking because they take it from such a different perspective um, and so, yes, we have people now, and maybe part of it is YouTube. It's that, oh, let's get up in front of a, of a screen and, and just say. So I'm not against the entrepreneurship. And um, just so that I can be fair to myself, many years ago, I received a phone call from a speaker, and she said, Jenny, I, I wanted to do a pro bono one-hour freebie from some inner city kids who've had a hard time in life and she said, they're in a school district close to where you live. Would you step in for me? Because I have to go on another gig. 
And I said, well, what on earth am I going to speak to them about? And she said, I'm going to speak to them about professional speaking. I'm not sure that 16-year-olds want to hear about that, but that's what she was going to speak about. So at this time, um, I didn't have the experience that I had now. So she said, well, look, I'll help you, Jenny. She said, I have a list of the 20 things that a good professional speaker does. It'll take you an hour to walk through the, the 20 things, and then your hour will be gone. I said, Linda, wonderful. She sends me the list, faxing, that's the way we got things. And I call her up and I said, I have a problem because I only do two of the 20 <laughs> that professional speakers are supposed to do, and I eventually break the rules on 18 of what professional speakers should do. So I feel a little uncomfortable standing up. So in the end, you know what I talked to them about? Entrepreneurship, how I started the speaking business, risk-taking, everything you and I are talking about. And the faculty came up to me and said they'd been running this program for five years each spring they have i think six or seven speakers and for the first time ever the kids started taking notes they said they never <laughs> took notes from another speaker in the whole series so that's what i talked about being a risk taker well and that's i mean you know being an entrepreneur certainly involves that's one of the biggest things that comes up on my interviews with people is, is you've got to be willing to take that risk so so you've been doing this for decades what is it that you love about the life of being an entrepreneur, of, of owning your own business and doing your own thing? What, what, what gets you going about it? Um, if one is creative, and I'm going to give you a, a Jenny statistic. There is no scientific background, Tom, for this. <laughs> oh, okay? I, have those, I have those too. There, I have Tom's statistics. This is an off the record. I have come to the conclusion, and I'm only going to speak to the, in the speaking world because I know it so well. I think about 3% of speakers are what I call creative, and I think 97% repurpose other material. In the old days, you used to call it plagiarism, but then today <laughs> I'm being PC and I will call it repurposing. <laughs> so if you are creative, as I am, and you're in an environment where that creativity cannot get tapped into, one gets very frustrated. So in all the years I've been speaking, the most fun – I personally have ever had um, is I was invited to speak to the University of Buffalo Dental School and they said uh, we can give you half a day I don't normally speak for half days I normally like an audience for a whole day um, but I was in the area I said fine and they said well what would you like to speak on and I said why don't you give me a stool and a handheld mic and I'll take Q&A's all morning and that's exactly what I did and um, I, think, I think that audiences really respond to speakers who can invite questions, Tom, and give them answers. Um, because I find so many, I can always, how can I say this politely? I make some assumptions when I watch a speaker from the stage and they don't take Q&As. I think it's because, oh my heavens, well, I didn't read that book, so... I'm not quite sure if I can handle some questions I'm not sure of. So they stay in a very safe zone. I mean, you want to stand in front of a thousand people and be open to Q&As and you never know where it's going to go. It, 
it does take courage. Well, and I talk about the fact that, you know, I call it uh, one of the things I tell my my clients they get with me is upfront preparation and on-site spontaneity because I'm always willing to go. If somebody raises their hand, I'm always willing to go there. It might take us down a different path. And that spontaneity that comes up, you're right. A lot of it has to do with a lot of people don't want to, they don't know the answers. I also think a lot of people have so crafted every word. They've gone to these speaking coaches who teach them that on every word they use their hand and they act like they're opening the mailbox and they twist the knob that they're so robotic in it or so, I don't not necessarily robotic in a bad way, but they're so rehearsed that if somebody asks them a question in the middle, they can't, they can't go there. And I find some of the most fun uh, is being able to go down the path where an, where an audience wants to go. But that being said, you know, it's it's hard sometimes because, you know, if you let the audience do it, you could you could end up leaving having to leave some stuff out in order to stay on time. And I think some people are so worried that everything that they've chosen to put in is so important and they don't realize the audience will have no idea what you skipped. Well, number one, you and I are so on the same page Um when I go to the national speaker meetings, the annual conventions, I do not get out of bed for the morning keynote sessions. I'm not going to learn anything. I want to go to the breakout sessions where I have the speaker on stage, content-driven Q&As mm-hmm. and whatever. So I, I, I totally agree. Um, and one of the things I, 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 I teach my speaking clients, and it's fun because – you know, I'll say to an I'll say to an audience um, with speakers, what is the what is the toughest audience to um, speak to, a small group or a large group? And I don't know if you've ever asked any of your your clients that, but invariably they say the large group. I said, no, 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 it's the small group. You have nine people and you screw up one person's answer. You've lost the other eight people. They will turn on you. Mm-hmm. You have a thousand people in the room and you don't like somebody's way they're handling your Q&As. You just pretend not to see them. (laughs) Or in my case, the answer I fall back on, um, and I have joked for years, if you are not a professional speaker, till you can hold a large audience under control in New Jersey all day. (laughs) God, God love you for being able to do that. that, that that's a skill. <laughs> and uh, in New Jersey, they will take you on. And I had a guy take me on one day and, and he, he, they don't understand. No. And I just looked at him, I said, look, we're never going to end this now. So I'll tell you what, I'll bring the glasses. You get the champagne. And I'll meet you in the bar at six tonight and we'll get this sorted. Audience loved it. We moved on. Yeah. Oh, that's a smart, that's a very smart way to do it. So, Jenny, what advice do you have for someone who's listening, who falls into that that category that I mentioned before, that they're listening to this show because they have that entrepreneurial drive. They've either started something, maybe on the side, or they want to. They want to go down this path. What advice do you have for an entrepreneur? You, you know, when one um, asks, what, the Oscars were just announced this morning, and so we're going to see all these interviews coming up, and they'll always say to these famous people, if you could do it over again, or if you knew then what you know now, what would you do differently? And um, I've just been invited to speak in England at the end of the year, and I'm calling my program Perfection. Basically, it's um, are you letting perfectionism and procrastination sabotage your speaking career? I am a recovering perfectionist. I was married to a perfectionist. 
the vast majority of dentists who are good dentists are perfectionists, left brain. So my father was a perfectionist, never recovered. He was always a perfectionist. So when you go into the speaking business and you start to develop product, one has to be very careful that you do have faith in yourself to make that leap. Otherwise, nothing happens. Um, for instance, somebody wanted me to speak on this subject I had 100% no confidence in. And I think you and I may have discussed this story when we were um, together. But I was so scared, I actually got on a plane and went to Yugoslavia for two weeks and, and shut it out of my mind. And I had somebody arrange the whole program and I said, put it in Alaska. So if I bomb in Alaska, I will bomb where people don't see me. <laughs> Perfectionism um, raises the standard, but it can also sabotage growth. And so um, the way I finally got product, and for those people who are listening, this it, it worked for me. If I had listened to all my audio programs before they went out, nothing would have gone out. So what I did was, before we had technology the way we have it today, I hired legal secretaries on the weekend who are most probably the fastest typists in the world. And I would be on stage for an eight-hour full-day program. I would send it to the um, – I would send it out to the uh, typist. Within about four days, I would have two big binders, transcript. I sit down, Tom, with two highlighters, yellow and red. I read my material. If there was something I wanted edited out, I just highlighted it in red. If there were too many ums or ahs or I thought whatever, I would put it in yellow. Sent it to a, um, uh, a lab actually in um, Arizona that specialized working with speakers and their sound people were used to editing speakers. I said, edit it and send it out. Because if I actually listened to myself, I would have said, oh, I could have done that better. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately for me, I'm not a perfectionist. And one of the things I started doing in 2020 is uh, just creating more videos on YouTube that go back to my topic. And uh, some of them aren't necessarily perfect, but I'm putting them out there. And I'm noticing now that I'm about 12 in that they're getting better. And so it's like anything, if you don't start because you don't think you're perfect, uh, you're not going to be able to get there. And I can always go take them down later. So, uh, you know, it's like, just do it. I think the I think that the, the quote I heard one time was um, perfect is the enemy of done. Yes. But if I may make a comment, when you're in the market and you're going to YouTube, which I have made a very uh, definite decision, I'm going to do big time. The people are clicking on and listening to you. But when I was selling um, six little tapes for over $200, I mean, I was making a ton of money selling audio tapes. If you're asking somebody to put, I mean, I had people paying $1,500, $1,600, $1,700 for an order of my, without, so... So I, I think it's important to understand that when you're asking people to pay, there is a standard to which I think you have to reach, whereas on YouTube, 
Um, I don't mean that one is more casual, but certainly it's a little different. Sure. Well, and I think that also goes back to what we were talking about, about speakers. You know, people pay me to come and talk at their company and they pay me well. It's a different level than if somebody says, could you come into my Rotary Club for free as a favor because we're buddies? That's where I try new material. I never would tell a new story that I've never said to an audience in front of a paying customer. However, you know, if I'm doing something as a favor, I'm doing something smaller, that's where you get to go and try stuff too. And I think that's, you know, you definitely get a different level of uh, engagement from somebody when you're paying them, no matter what it is. And yet I would say, Tom, that when you go to the Rotary to do it pro bono, you are going to be the professional speaker who turns up on time. You are no less professional in that capacity than you are when you're quote, the professional speaker. Absolutely true. Hey, Jenny, so I talk about this performance gap and how people overcome this paradox of potential. Because we think in our society, oh my gosh, potential is so fabulous. We look at these young college students or, or we hire Becky and we think Becky's going to be so great for the company. And then a year later, we're transitioning her out. So potential doesn't really mean anything. Potential is not results. And you in your lifetime and, and me and mine, we've seen a lot of people with potential who fall flat. And other people who go far across that gap. Why do you think some people perform better than others when they may start off with that same level of potential? Well, you're at, when I speak to dentists, my favorite subject is, is speaking on HR. It's one. Hiring and managing. Because most small business owners, when they graduate to get staff, do not know how to handle staff. In fact, I, I'm speaking to you from Silicon Valley. My townhouse is on Sand Hill Circle. I know it. I so know where it is. I'm one and a half inches. In fact, as I'm talking to you, uh, looking at you on the screen, if I look out of the window, I see the big sign that says 3000 Sand Hill Road. So I am literally surrounded by all these type A neurotic entrepreneurs. And it happened to Steve Jobs. When Apple was first sold, what they end up by doing is moving out the founders because they don't know how to hire. They don't know how to interview. Um, they don't know how to manage. And so dentists are exactly the same. And so if people, when they're up, and I'm talking to the entrepreneurs now listening, when you go to outsource, when you get to the point when you can bring other people in, please take more time to interview and ascertain the talent that you are interviewing because it's so easy to say yes to somebody. Um, and I joke that people come in on their Oscar winning performance. So they, when they show this great potential, it's like they're on show, you know, it's all show, but there's no substance there. And so um, it really becomes, and as a speaker, as you know, this, we learn to sum up people in milliseconds because when you're on the stage and somebody asks you a question, within a second, you sort of have to say, is this a friend or a foe? Are they going to take me on? You have to get a sense of the audience. So I do, it's not that I'm judgmental, but I certainly do um, take time to make sure that I'm working with people that meet the standards. So if you're saying, there's an entrepreneur that you've worked with or you've seen that shows the potential and they fall by the wayside. Why did they fall by the wayside? Maybe the passion wasn't there. Maybe they were lacking 
Um, one of the things I think entrepreneurs have to always remember, and this is what I tell employers, hire to your limitations, not your strengths. So if you have a type A neurotic perfectionist, they invariably go out and hire a type A neurotic perfectionist because they're, they're the people they're comfortable with. Now we have five type A neurotic perfectionists and nothing will get done. So if you are an entrepreneur, work out what your talents are. Work out, I don't call them weaknesses, I call them limitations. Work out what your limitations are and then somehow provide yourself with a resource to provide you and in time your company with that limitation service that you don't want to do. I think that's... I think, I think, they, get, I think they just get, um, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but let me just say one thing because it's in my head. Um, I'm five minutes from Stanford. Stanford brought out a white paper about eight years ago. I have it loaded on my computer. Multitasking reduces efficiency by 25%. I think they're being conservative. I think it's most probably much closer to 50%. I have been very guilty of multitasking. The kids today, if they're not doing watching, listening, and, and so they really are beginning to um, perhaps not understand concentration, follow up and follow through. Well, I think I think you are right about the uh, the multitasking thing. I mean, people who are listening to this podcast are doing it while they're at the gym. They're doing it while they're out for a run. They're doing it while they're driving. Uh, and I think that we all do that. We try to cram as many things into whatever activity activity we can, and then we're not giving a hundred percent to it. I know that we have a rule in our family: no screens at the table, meaning that when we're having dinner. Nobody right. can have their phone with them because otherwise it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. So, hey, hey, Jenny, I've got a couple more questions for you. But before we go, but before we get there, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Jenny de St. George. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Jenny, I call this show cool things entrepreneurs do. And one of the coolest things I think you do is you do this coaching where you help people sort of think out of the box and find better titles and taglines and, and all that. Can you talk a little bit to that? Uh, yes. And um, actually, you ask a question like that, my mind is bouncing off the walls because there's so many things that I want to say. Um, let me back into it a little bit. I guess for those of us who have been around some time, I'm always asked, how do you stay current? How, how do you keep up to date? Um, and my answers never change. Common sense and logic never goes out of style. And I think one of my concerns today, Tom, is that everybody has become so techy and so into all this stuff that we use that they've forgotten to use their brain and realize that there are many more things they can creatively think about before they get to the techie stage. Um, the other thing, and we didn't mention it, but I'm just going to throw it out, 
is um, I have a huge international market. I mean, I have um, most probably 6 million miles on American Airlines and, and other airlines. Um, I've got five and a half just on American. And what I've learned over the years, particularly if you're into podcasts and webinars now, and I have to tell you, basically, we're really spoiled. Everybody speaks English. That um, if you enunciate speed when you speak internationally, it, they don't mind if you speak quickly, but accents and sloppy speaking sort of drives them crazy. So if you're an entrepreneur listening to Tom's podcast and you think, oh, well, this idea is going to be limited to Americans, in today's market, I would say absolutely not. Think global from the very beginning. Um, all you have to do is remember to change some of the – I mean, when I speak internationally, I remember to go back to my English spelling. Um, and there are some rules when you when you speak um, internationally. They're a little bit more formal. They're a little bit more etiquette-driven. But if you've got a great idea, please don't think it's just based in the country that you're sitting in. And I, I don't know. Do you have listeners from overseas? Yeah, I think this podcast has been downloaded in 70 or 80 countries. So, uh, And it's the number 13 entrepreneurial podcast in Ireland. I have no idea why. That could be six people, you know, having a Guinness, but it's the number 13 entrepreneur podcast in Ireland. That's my highest ranking in the world. Well, I will be speaking to professional speakers in Dublin uh, in October of this year. Awesome. So that you've Tell just them all to listen. <laughs> you've, you've just proved my case that it's, it's internationally. And so an idea is an idea is an idea. So I want to get to this whole thing, though. Of how, how do you help people? sort of be more creative. I think this is an awesome thing that you do. Um, well, I joke that I have an opinion on absolutely everything. <laughs> um, I have sat in with some coaches, Tom, because like when I ran the dental practice and I got up on stage, I was embarrassed to get up on stage because I had never worked in a dental practice other than the one I created. So I thought, what gives me permission to get up on a stage and tell other people how to run their company when the only one I knew was the one I created? So um, in the coaching business, I sat in with some other coaches, uh, fly on the wall, and um, I'm just generalizing now, a couple of stereotypes. I think what horrified me the most was that just perhaps I made a bad choice, but the coaches I saw in an effort not to lead their client, almost had no opinion on anything. It was rather like going to therapy. <laughs> well, that's very interesting, Mary. Now, how would you handle it? Whereas I sort of would like to push them a little bit, and I have no problem saying, have you thought about this idea? So uh, I like my creativity to spark some creativity in them. So... Um, that's, I think that's where I work a little differently than other people. Oh, and there's one more thing, because you brought it up. When I work with speakers on stage, I am exactly the opposite of what you talked about. They do not get a canned approach. I like to see the way they work and then smooth out some rough edges. edges. I want them to be who they are. I want them to be absolute natural. And when I go and listen to the keynotes and I know that on the fourth step, they've taken one step back and they've moved their arm to make a point. 
I'm most probably picking up my briefcase and I've walked out. Mm -hmm. So I think the secret when you work with people, this is the bottom line, took me a second to get there, is see what they bring to the table that is natural, smooth out what is natural and build on that, but not to add anything that would be, um, would come across as fake or artificial. So Jenny, any last words for the audience? I, I think that uh, we've, we've shared a lot of really good ideas here, but I always, I always like to let people say, is there anything we missed? Is there anything, anything else you want to share? You know, I'm fascinated. I'm actually a visual person. And when you think I have made a very good living selling audio recordings, I actually like to read. So when I go onto YouTube and it says, uh, if I want the translation, um, I like to go to the translation. And if it's a really good podcast or a really good program, I, because I'm visual, I'll actually print it out, get my highlighter. <laughs> so um, I, I'm curious as to when you listen to somebody else's podcast and there's a good point, how do you capture it? So I always carry a notebook. I still have a pen. Oh. I have a pen and paper with me everywhere I go. I do too. So that would be something that I would say to the audience, the entrepreneurs, the best ideas I've ever had sitting in a restaurant with a glass of wine my ideas come, I'm cleaning the, the kitchen floor. My ideas never come sitting in my office, looking at the screen saying, I'm going to have an idea. I will wake up at three in the morning and suddenly my brain has given me an idea. So I would say the most important thing, like you, I never always have a pencil in my hand and somewhere that I can write it down and capture it because you think I'll remember it later. You don't. <laughs> Well, Jenny, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and they say, I have to know more about Jenny de St. George, how do they find you? All right. Good news and bad news. <laughs> I have two websites. My main dental website just gone up live. First website I've ever been proud of. <laughs> JDSG, my initials, Jennifer D. St. George, JDSG.com. As we speak in January... My speaker website, speakercoachpro.com. Um, you will actually see a homepage because I'm now doing to the second website what I've just done to the first website. There is um, an hour's video. If you go onto the homepage of speakercoachpro.com, on the top right, there is an hour's video that was uh, taped in Munich, Germany, when I spoke to the German Speakers Association and I closed their um, first day session. So if you want to know how my brain works mm -hmm. and you watch that for an hour, uh, I watched it the other day. For the first, it's most probably the first time I've ever watched myself. Uh, so I must have been good because I don't like to watch myself. I actually watch myself. I have an 800 number, um, but I would go through the two websites. I can, I can give you my cell give you my 800 number what works for you tom i think website is probably the way most I people agree. do that so we'll we'll I tell agree. them to go to speakercoachpro.com or jdsg.com correct all right thank you well thank you so much for being a guest here on cool things entrepreneurs do and you've been doing cool things longer than most of us have been in business so cheers to you jenny 
Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. And thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? There wouldn't be a podcast. So thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, all that stuff. But more important, go tell a friend because most people who find this show, who, who reach out to me, I always ask, how did you find the show? And they always say it's because someone told me about it. So we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Jenny. And I know you're thinking, Tom, how is that possible? How will you find anybody that cool? And we always seem to do it. But in the meantime, go out there. Make sure your ladder's against the right wall. Try new things. You know, find that entrepreneurial spirit that's in you. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.